Today, uh, speaking about David slaying his giants, the da David, the slayer of giants. And um, this isn't just a child's story. This is a, a real occasion, and David is a real king, and David is a real person. And sometimes we look at these stories in the Bible and say, well, you know, did they really happen? And did, were these guys really like this? Well, the story that we have of David is, I think it's a very unique one. And um, I want to approach it in a way that perhaps we'll see the, the, the value of what David had to go through and how that he does come upon this, into this situation where he faces Goliath. But there are other situations that set up the Goliath moment. And these are the things we want to look at even in our own lives, today being Father's Day. But I think of it as not only as Father's, but as Men's Day, Man's Day, yay men, you know, <laughs> man cave, you know, this kind of thing, yeah. So, and no matter what the age, whether they be the youngest or the oldest, we have gifts and things that we'll give out today. Uh, but David, the slayer of giants, 1 Samuel chapter 16. We begin in verse 1. Now what has happened in Israel, Saul has been anointed king, and Saul has just not done what he was supposed to do as king. Samuel the prophet would go and tell him to do certain things, and then Saul would go out and do them halfway or not do them at all. And then he'd always come back with an excuse to Samuel, and say, well, you know, I did it this way, that way. And Samuel was totally upset. The prophet was totally upset with Saul, who was the first king of Israel. So we begin in chapter 16, verse 1. God addresses Samuel. So how long are you going to mope over Saul? <laughs> Samuel, the prophet, is all upset over Saul. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. And Samuel, the prophet, prophet is moping around. You know I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your flask with anointing oil and get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've spotted the very king I want among his sons. So, prophet now has a new mission. God speaks to him and says, now I want you to go to this place, a very specific place, and to a specific family. I want you to go to this place of Bethlehem, and he wants God, God wants him to anoint from one family a son. Well, Samuel argues with God. I can't do this. If we, we're not going to read everything in the, in the text because we would be here a very long time. So uh, Samuel argues with God, says, I can't do this. I can't go and anoint, and anoint another person king while the king is already reigning. He's going to kill me and the kid, you know, the, the other person I've anointed. God says, Samuel, don't worry about it. Go. So Samuel obeyed and he went to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse. Uh, verse 6 and 7. When he arrived at Jesse's home, uh, Bethlehem and at Jesse's home, Samuel took one look at Elab. Now, Elab was um, Jesse's, Jesse had seven sons, okay? Elab is the oldest. And when he looked at Elab, the prophet looks at Elab and says, Wow, here he is, God's anointed. The man looks like a king. He's tall, dark, and handsome. Not short, bald, and fat. He is tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> I once was tall, dark, and handsome. Yeah, okay. I was never tall. <laughs> I always had light skin, and I did have hair, though. But anyhow, he took one look at Elab and says, that's it. 
But God told Samuel. Now, here is Samuel. He's been a prophet for many years. But always in our process of growth, there are things that we can learn. There are things that we need to look at and to see things differently. So God tells Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. So as we look at this, you know, begin to see the unfolding of what is taking place with David and him being anointed, we know that God knows the heart. God knows what's going on in the inside. He knows the intent. He knows the reason why we do what we do. And he knows the intent of every action, every thought, every plan. There's no hiding from God. Now, if you remember last week's sermon, we talked about God being pure light. And when God's light shines upon something, pure light is that which illuminates, points out the things that are good, that are noble, that are lovely, that are of a good good report, God's light shines on this, and we're able to see these things. Because darkness looks at things and sees no difference between good and evil. When light of God looks at things, we see the blessings and we see the cursings. We see what is a good action. We see what is a not-so-good action. So we pray that God would give us his light to look at our lives and look at the lives and the situations of people around us. So, Samuel has Jesse's son pass before him. There's Elab, Abinadad, and Shema. And Jesse presented seven sons. But there was the seven, the six were only there, and none of them were chosen. And Samuel is expecting the, you know, and I read these three names because they're important for us. Jesse looks at them, excuse me, Samuel looks at these sons and says, you know, when is God going to speak to me and say, this is the guy, this is the guy, and he comes to the end, there's not here, and he knows that God has sent him here, and he looks at Jesse and said, do you have any more kids? Oh yeah, we got one. (laughs) The forgotten one? Who is David, and where is he? Well, he's the youngest, he's out watching the sheep. When David came before Samuel, God said, it's the end of verse 12, God said, God said it's the end of verse 12? No. God said, verse 12, up on your feet, anoint him. This is the one. So God spoke to Samuel as he had expected, and there he was. It was David. Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him with his brothers, important to remember this, with his brothers standing around watching. Important to remember this. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind. God vitally empowered him for the rest of his life. Samuel left and went home to Ramah. God vitally empowered David. Okay? So, here it is. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon David. And from that moment forward, David is this, he, he, he understands there's something, there's something divine about his life and there's something divine about what he's going to do. And, and this is what I, I look at even in our own lives, that God has a purpose for each life. 
God's Spirit enters our life. We accept Christ. We confess our sins. God's Spirit is in us, and that Spirit is there empowering us. There's a purpose. There's a purpose for your life. Say, there's a purpose for my life. Okay, let's do that again. Some of you were someplace else. Okay, (laughs) there is a purpose for my life. There is a purpose for my life. Is that me saying that? No, that's God telling us, informing us there's a purpose. Now, God has a purpose, but he does not expect us to do it on our own. We can't fulfill that purpose of God by good works, good deeds, doing the right things, being the right, you know, push, shove, step on people. It's God, his spirit in us, helping us to become that person. So, time has passed. It's not just a sequence of days, so, but there's some time has passed. And Israel is now at war with the neighboring country, the Philistines. And Jesus sends, De- excuse me, Jesse, the father, sends David to the battlefront to take food for his brothers. Chapter 17, verses 1 to 3. They drew up their troops in battle readiness. Now, you've got to understand the situation. Anybody see, um, what's the movie? Oh, you know, the, you know, the um, Gladiator. What's that? 300, Gladiator. You know, the, in Gladiator, at the beginning of the movie, there are, the Romans are on one side, and the battle and the guy, bad guys are on the other side, and they're banging on their shields. Okay, we see, maybe you've seen movies like that. Well, that's what's going on. Every day for 40 days, and we'll read here how that the children of Israel, the soldiers, get up every morning ready for battle. So they get up every morning, all stand on one hill, and they're all up there ready for battle. The Philistines are on the other hill, and they're ready for battle. And what that means is they give out the battle cry. So remember, if you watch the movies, <laughs> they are banging on their shields. You know, we're going to, you know, everybody's up there, you know, ready to charge into the valley. But for 40 days, they've been doing this. And what happens is just as they're ready to charge into battle, battle lines part, out comes Goliath. <laughs> now, we got this, go on, 40 days. <laughs> Bang on your shields, ready to go battle. But no one is willing to go into the valley to give up the high ground. So, 40 days this is going on. Uh, When Goliath steps out, now, some people say, oh yeah, this this is where, it's just a fairy tale. Well, you know, some of these guys who play for the NFL, what are they, six, seven, seven foot? There's this guy, I think he's almost seven foot, 350 pounds, playing for the NFL. So when talking about Goliath, Goliath's about 10 feet, 10 feet tall. And so here comes Goliath stepping out of the ranks, okay? He steps out of the Philistine ranks, and they all part, you know, and there he comes out. So his armor... So he's nearly 10 feet tall, and uh, uh, what is his name? Is Goliath from Gath. Sounds like a real, you know, this is Goliath from Gath. This is David from Winber. <laughs> okay? So you get the idea. This is, this is um, 
Terry Bradshaw from the Steelers. This is um, Ben Roethlisberger from the Steelers, okay? So you have a reputation, you have a, low, you have a person who has a reputation, you have where they're from. This is Goliath from Gath. Gath is a place that is known in history as a place of giants, meaning that there are a lot of big people who come from this particular location. His armor, if you read it in the King James, it's hard to figure it out, so many cubits of this and whatever. His armor weighs 126 pounds. He wore bronze. Okay, what does bronze do? Did you notice like in the Romans, they always wore those, those um, plumes as it were? Everything to make them be bigger than what they were. So here is Goliath, who is a massive person. He's wearing a bronze shield, head, gear, helmet, so it's shiny. He has uh, a spear that's like a fence pole. <laughs> he has the weight of the tip of his spear is 15 pounds. I was going to bring some 15-pound weights and have people carry them around for a while. That's just the tip of his spear. His shield bearer walks in front of him, and everything is bronze and shiny. So not only is he 10 foot tall, he looks 20 feet tall because he's on the opposing side, and you see everybody else is dwarfed beneath him, and he steps forward. Now, what are giants? Giants. <laughs> he is a man of intimidation. Giants are intimidating. Things that make us feel inferior. Unable, that we are unable to do the task that is before us. Goliath is an intimidator. Now, you don't have to raise your hands on this one, but how many have people and things that intimidate you? I won't ask you to raise your hands. But there are people and things that intimidate us. And this is where we find David and Goliath. Verse 8. Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops, Why bother using your whole army? Am I not a Philistine? Am I not Philistine enough for you? Because, you know, they're just from... You know, whenever they, we play sports and whatever, well, from Pittsburgh, you know, they're, they're just Baltimore. You know, what are they? They're just Philadelphia. You know, what are they? Well, they're just Cleveland. You know, what are they? So we, uh, people are derogatory towards their opponents. Well, they're nobody. They're just from there. Well, here is Goliath saying, am I not Philistine, Philistine enough for you? Am I not lowly enough to, for you guys, because you have, it goes on here, you, and you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? You're committed to Saul, you're committed to, he goes, in, so stick, so pick your best fighter and put him against me. And not only does, and later on, we'll see how he curses at Saul, he curses at the armies, he curses the God that Israel worships. So he is taking his stand of intimidation. Here I am. Send your best guy. I'll meet him in the valley, and we'll do it man to man. And 
if I get the upper hand and kill him, you'll all become our slaves and serve us. I challenge the troops of Israel this day, give me a man and let us fight it out together. Woof, 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 boom, boom, boom. All right, you know, you know, they're up there, let's charge into the valley. But they're not charging, they're all standing up there because they want Goliath to fight the battle and nobody up on top wants to go into the valley and nobody alone wants to walk down there and meet Goliath. So, verse 12. Appropriately stated, enter David. Boom. Now, um, he was the son of Jesse, Ephratite from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse, the father uh, of eight sons, was himself too old to join Saul's army. Jesse had three oldest sons go to war. And the name of these sons appropriately are Elab, Abinadad, and Shammah. David was the youngest. So, want to remember those three brothers. They were the ones passed over by Samuel to be anointed king, and David was anointed. So, Jesse says to David, take bread, food, to your brothers and give some cheese to the, the guard, the guy who's in charge of the garrison that your brothers are under. Give him some food too. When David arrived at camp, just as the army was moving forward into battle formation, so they're moving into battle formation, they're all dressed for battle, they're all up on the mountain, and David comes up to the battle, and there they are banging on their swords, giving their cries, their battle cries, going back and forth with each other, and then shouting the war cries. And then David left his bundle of food and greeted his brothers. And while they were talking, the Philistine champion, they're all shouting, and David arrives just in time for the Philistine champion, Goliath of Gath, to step out from the front lines and the Philistines, and they gave his usual challenge, and David heard him. Now, remember back when David was anointed? God came upon him. This is signifying to us when God is in our life, remember we said about the light of God shining in our lives? We see things a little differently. We see things, we see things, we see things, we see things, we know things. Why do we see? Because there is a different light that shines on how we see things than people who are not Christians. That's why we can be moved inside, stirred, to hear, to see, to know, to do things just a little different. But yet we're challenged. <laughs> We're challenged, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to make a fool of yourself? Hmm, to be different? To say what you're really thinking? Do you want to, are you really moved to do that? Hmm. Well, David was stirred. But David was not intimidated. Because the Spirit of God in him stirred him to act upon this response. It wasn't David saying, I'm going after Goliath. It was the Spirit of God inside of David saying, you can take this guy. So David starts to think about this. Verse 24, 
after they heard all this, they fell back. The moment they saw the giant stand in front of him, for 40 days he's been doing this, and David's there, and the moment they see Goliath step out of the realm, out of the ranks, everybody takes a step backward. I'm not going down there. See, I'm not going there, so they all step back. It's probably one of those situations where everybody steps back and David's standing there by himself. You know, volunteers, everybody steps two backs. No, didn't happen that way. Verse 24. The Israelites to the man fell back the moment they saw the giant. The talk among the troops was, okay, when do people, you start, when you start listening to how people talk, you start understanding what their fears are. What their areas of that they feel intimidated by. You begin to hear what people see when you listen to what they say. Okay? The man, they open they have you seen, they talk among themselves, have you seen anything like this? Okay, David's in amongst this group, and this is what they're talking about. Have you seen anything like this? This man openly and defiantly challenges Israel. What stirs in David, the God of Israel? This man openly challenges the God of Israel. The man now, group talk is, the man who kills the giant will have it made. Okay, they're trying to gain courage. Okay? (laughs) This is what? The man who kills the giant... We'll have it made. Why? The king is going to give him a huge reward. Two, he gets the daughter, the daughter of King Saul as a bride. And three, his, his family will have a free ride. They'll never have to pay taxes again. So the motivation that Saul has given to all of his troops is the guy who kills Saul gets a big bonus, gets to marry my daughter, and never has to pay taxes again. How many are ready to go? <laughs> How many are ready to go? You know, sign up today. You get a big bonus. You marry the king's daughter. And you never have to pay taxes again. You or your family on any land. So that was the motivation. Supposedly the motivation to get Saul to to get some of his men to attack. Nobody was buying it. David had the courage. (laughs) Um... He had the courage and the stirring in his heart to take on Goliath before he found out about the reward. Okay? But before David could face Goliath, he had to face his giants. His first giant. Verse 28. Elab. Now who's Elab? Oldest brother. What has happened to Elab? He's been passed over. He's been passed over by the prophet and his younger brother, who's, who's a ruddy kid who watches sheep, does women's work, was anointed. Elab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men. Here's David talking with the other soldiers. And Elab, the big brother, says to David, What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business and tending those scrawny flock of sheep out in the desert? I know what you're up to. 
You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a glimpse, a ringside seat at a bloody battle. That's what you're doing here. <laughs> the first battle is those who intimidate us by, those are the family members or people who are really close that can belittle you in a moment, in a thought, in a glance. They can make you feel like you're dirt. <laughs> I know who you are. I was raised with you. You think you can do this? You think you can do that? You think you can live up to this? What are you doing here? Get out of my sight. Get away from me and get away from these people. Don't bother these men of war, you little punk. <laughs> That's what he's telling them. The first battle that David has to overcome is the intimidation of things of our past. People who think they understand us. And they put boundaries upon what we can or cannot do. Well, they make you feel incompetent, incomplete. Okay? Verse 29, David says, What is it with you? <laughs> what is it with you? David replied, All I did was ask a question. All I did was ask a question of these people, and there you go blowing up like I've, I've done something entirely wrong. People who respond to you in ways that are not really adequate for the situation or not really part of what's going on, they are carrying a lot of garbage from the past and they're trying to stifle who you are in the present. What did David do? Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else and asked the same question. And he got the same answer. Question was, this guy's been banging on shields and defying God, but you mean to tell me the guy who kills him gets a big reward, marries the king's daughter, and lives free from taxes? So being rewarded for doing good is not a bad thing. Hello. Being a wise steward is learning how to handle the property, what you in your hands wisely. So, the things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul. David is talking about, hey, you can't, you can't defy God. And so people, this is the first ounce of courage anybody's found in the whole army for 40 days. And somebody picks it up and they take it to Saul. King Saul says, we found a guy, we found a, we found a stooge. <laughs> we found somebody who'll get out there and fight for you. He just says, kid, listen to what he has to say. He's been saying you can't do this. And they, they all went to Saul. Saul, hey, there's a guy over there who knows what he, he, he should He'll go for you, <laughs> okay? He'll go down there. Nobody else is going, but this guy will go. I, we found somebody. So, wow. Saul, and, verse 32. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. Don't give up hope. What does intimidation do? Takes away hope. The people, the army, Saul, the king, all had lost hope by the intimidation of Saul. Excuse me, by the intimidation of Goliath. David wasn't intimidated. He hadn't lost hope. He comes in and he gives him hope. He said, Saul answered David, you can go and fight this Philistine? <laughs> You're too young and inexperienced. And he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. Goliath is a man of war. <laughs> he knows how to kill. 
He is a killing machine. You think you're going to go do this? Now, God doesn't call us to do something he hasn't prepared us for. David, in the next verse, says, well, you know, I've been out watching my sheep. But the lion and the bear, both have come, attacked my flock. I was able to take them down. I was able to rob them of the lambs that were in their mouth. I took them down. I killed them. Now, no one is around to see David doing this, and no one would believe his tale if he did. Now he goes home and says, Hey, Elab, I want to tell you about how I killed the lion. Get out of here, you ruddy kid. You didn't do that. What are you making up stories for? So he wasn't able to tell anybody, but David knew in his heart he had faced the lion, he had faced the bear, he could take on this giant. God had prepared him before the battle began. You see, life prepares us for where we're going. When God is in our life and God is in our heart, there's a preparation going on. God is preparing me for what's coming. So these battles that I am facing are ways of God giving me strength for where I'm at and also to where I'm going. Okay. I like the the end of verse, uh, what is it, verse 37. Uh, David says about how he'd taken on the lion and the bear. Then Saul says, go and God help you. (laughs) Hey, you go right ahead. I'm right behind you, boy. You know, you go down there, you face him, and I'm right up here. I'll be right behind you the whole time, boy. You go. So the second giant David has to face is the giant of people who are over us positionally. Those who are over us in a way of business and position. David, he's a shepherd. Saul is a king. What does Saul want David to do? He put on the soldier's armor, Saul's own personal armor. Put on his bronze helmet, make him look bigger. He belted his sword around him. (laughs) I got the king's sword. And David tried to walk and he couldn't even walk. (laughs) Someone trying to make you something that you're not. That's the second giant David has to face. Somebody trying to make you something that you're not. And they have position over you. You need to listen to them. They've been, they are experienced at what they do. They are experienced at what they need to tell you to do. So therefore, they will tell you how to be a man of war. Well, nobody who was a man of war has gone down there to fight, to fight Goliath. So what are you trying to make me something that doesn't work? Now, in everyday battles and everyday things, this is how you do things. And David never went to, you know, he didn't all of his life never use armor. Later on, when he is the king, whenever he is going to lead the battles and war, he dresses in his armor and things like that. But for this battle and this place and this time, he's not going to do it the way other people are telling him. He knows in his heart this battle is different. And that's what we have to know in our heart when people who are over us positionally are trying to make us do something that's really not us. Third giant. The third giant 
is being intimidated by those who are just better than you at what you are about to do. Goliath is a killing machine. And you are going to go to battle with him. There is no way this matches up. It doesn't match up on paper. It doesn't match up on, on you know, man for man, helmet to helmet, position to position. You know, you're a ruddy kid. He's a man of war. You don't even have a helmet. He's got a helmet that people can't even carry. You know, when you were a little kid, you couldn't even carry a sword or carry a shield. You can't do it. You, you know, you're going to go to war with this guy and you're this? It doesn't match. But David isn't looking at match for match. He's going by what he knows in his heart. And what you know in your heart, what you know what God has called you to do, is when God and you are together, it makes a majority. Now, we're not talking we're going to go out and do things totally out of character, but we're looking at things within our own life that God has spoken to you about, and he will give you that strength, and he will give you that dream, he will give you that desire to accomplish something. And when you look at you versus the norm, you don't match up. Intimidation says, don't even try. You'll fail. But you see, God says, you and I make a majority. Let's go and do this. Okay? David took his shepherd's staff. He selected five smooth stones from the brook. Okay, people? Why did he choose five? Goliath had four brothers. <laughs> you read on in the chapters, Goliath had four brothers. David was going to take on the whole family. So he picked up five stones from the brook, and he has his staff in his sling. He puts the stones in his, in his pouch. He goes. Verse 41. As the Philistine paced back and forth, Goliath is ready to kill. <laughs> I'm waiting. I, I'm, I'm a killing machine. I can take on anybody. He is psyched for the war. He is psyched for the battle. He's prancing back and forth, waiting for them to send somebody into the battleground in which he is going to just tear them apart. And Goliath is prancing, and he is doing his thing. And then, and then, what does he do? He took one look down on him, on David, and sneered. A mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach-fuzz kid, coming to do war battle with me? The Philistine, this guy is totally insulted. You know, this is not a battle. This is a slaughter. And you want me to face him? I will slaughter him. He ridiculed David. Am I a dog? Verse 43. That you come after me with a stick? He cursed him. And he cursed his God. You see, that's what makes the difference. People will curse the God who motivates you and ridicule you and your beliefs because you can't go forward. But God says, you don't listen to that. Listen to what's in that still small voice. Verse 44, come on, said the Philistine, I'll make you roadkill. <laughs> I like that. He didn't even know what roadkill was. I, I can imagine a, some, a deer or an animal running across the road of a 
horse and chariot. I'll make you roadkill. What's roadkill? But anyhow, this is a new translation. I'll make you roadkill. All right. And, for, and you'll, be, you'll be buzzard meat. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. And he's throwing this at David, these insults at David. And David answers him, come on, <laughs> come, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and a battle axe. I come at you in the name of the God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops. Hmm, see, we're setting the battle. Battle's now set. This isn't just David against Goliath. This is the God who spoke to David and anointed David. The God who called Israel. The God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac. It's the same God working down through their life. And when this guy, this Goliath, curses Israel and their gods, he is cursing the God who created the heavens and the earth. And when God, who is in our hearts and our lives, speaks to us, it's the God who created the heavens and the earth. And it is that, that person that is in me that stirs my heart and stirs the dreams and stirs me to move into this particular direction. And when people curse our God, they're not just cursing you. They're cursing our God. And God is going to move through his people. Well, this very day, this is David speaking, this very day God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you. Cut off your head and serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. The whole earth will know that there is an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered there here will learn that the God that God doesn't save by means of a sword and a spear. The battle belongs to God. He's handing you to us on a platter. Well, here is this giant of a man who's been pacing and longing to kill. That aroused the Philistine. And he started toward David. And what did David do? What's it say? Got it up there? David took off from the front line running towards the Philistine. When we are intimidated, we don't back off, we go towards. Intimidation creates fear. It is putting things in perspective. It is realizing that we are in this and we are in this for the long haul. And we must do battle with those intimidations until we defeat them. And David was defeating the intimidation of his brother. He was defeating the intimidation of Saul, that he was a man of authority over him. He was defeating the man who was better than him in battle, who was a killing machine. And here comes this ruddy little kid running into the valley, going to take on the giant. David reached into his pocket, pulled out a stone, and he slung it, and he hit that guy right between the eyes. And it sunk deep into his forehead, the Bible says, and he'd come crashing to the ground. Those slings can get a very powerful punch to them. I saw a guy knock things over with a sling in Israel, and I mean it was a boom. And David took on the lion and the bear, and it gave him the, the ability to know that what he possessed under the anointing of God 
had a different impact than just he alone. This is where we are in our own lives. That David beat the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He hit him and killed him. No sword for David, but just a sling and a stone. These are, there are many things that intimidate us in life, that hold us and frighten us and take us back. God stirs our heart by giving us the impression of his spirit. It isn't something we're going to do on our own. It's something God and I are going to do together. And when God and I go together, we will make a difference because God will make a difference in my life and in what I do. And see, that's what our life is about. Allowing God to fill us with his spirit. That we not allow ourselves to be intimidated by life, by people, by things. As we move forward, we forgive. Let go of the past. Let go of the things that hold us in place. Forgive and let it go. God has a future in front of us. And it's his spirit that stirs our hearts and makes us capable of seeing things differently than anyone else. That's what God does. That's the story of David and his defeating of his giants. And that's our story. It's a story that makes us different than people who don't believe. Amen? Shall we stand?